Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Vandalia, Michigan campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. We are continuing the Kingdom Parable uh, series, looking at a number of parables. And uh, the message of Jesus was the kingdom of heaven. And, 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 you know, Jesus taught on a lot of different subjects. And uh, we've heard many, I'm sure you've read through the Gospels, heard many sermons about uh, Jesus said this, Jesus said that. But the overriding theme of what Jesus taught was the kingdom of God. Okay, and all of the subjects or all of the de- uh, uh, topics that he addressed all were part of that overriding theme, and so that was Jesus's main message. That's really what he taught about, and we see this. There's tons of places I could point it out, but I'm only going to do a couple of them. One is in Matthew 4:17. This was right after Jesus was baptized, and then he went out into the desert and was tempted by the devil for 40 days. If you're familiar with that story, he comes back. And the, uh, um, uh, right at the beginning of his ministry, it says, from then on, so from that point on till the end of his earthly life, Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. So the kingdom of heaven was the main topic that Jesus preached. And this series is all about looking at parables that Jesus used to give us a picture of God's kingdom and to teach us how to live in kingdom values in our day. <clears throat> all right. So the first uh, message in the series was kingdom value, and that was looking at the parable of the treasure and the parable of the pearls. And then I believe it was last week, Kingdom Methods, and that's looking at the must, parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the yeast. Today we're looking at the Kingdom Invitation, and we're going to be looking at the uh, parable of the Great Banquet. Before we do that, I wanted to answer the question, or at least pose to you this, this idea, what is the Kingdom of Heaven? What is that really talking about? And so the word kingdom... Is, is actually a two-part word. The first word is king. We all know what that means. That's uh, the person in charge, the one who rules. Now, we, as American, good old Americans, we, 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 we kick the king out, okay? <laughs> uh, we get rid of the king. But uh, when I'm in England and uh, other places where there is still a monarchy, even if they're not a ruling monarchy, there's a relationship. And they understand a little better than we do this idea of a king. Uh, but in, in Jesus' day, and for most of human history, the, the government was a person uh, representing the, the power. And so this is the one who rules. And the word dome is the root word for words like dominion, or domain, or dominance. All right? And so that means rule. In, in, in the, I think it's Greek, it, it literally means the rule. And so kingdom is the domain or that which is under the rule of the king. Okay, so the kingdom of heaven is everything that is under the rule and reign of the king. And who's the king of heaven? Jesus. Jesus, all right. The kingdom of heaven is not talking about what it's like after we die. Because that's the default interpretation that most Christians have when they see heaven spoken about in Scripture. 
most of the time heaven is spoken about in Scripture is not the heavenly state that we will enjoy after our resurrection or in the current place where God is in an angelic heavenly realm. But it is the domain of God. In other words, heaven, when it talks about the kingdom of heaven, it's talking about where Jesus is ruling and reigning. Okay, so it's living under the rule and reign now. Do you realize you can do that now? Do you realize that's what it means to be a Christian, right? Is to uh, be submitted to Jesus as Lord. That means he's your king. That means you're living in the heavenly realm. Listen, you can step into heaven right now. And you don't have to die to get there. And I hope that makes you go, what is he talking about? Now, the fullness of experiencing heaven, you have to die first. You know why? Because your mortal body can't endure the full-on presence of God. Right? Because, and so people think, I hope I'm alive when Jesus comes. And, and, and they say it's because they want to be there and see it. But really, they think they're going to, out, they're going to get out of dying. <laughs> Let me tell you, when Jesus comes back, your mortal body has to die. Because you can't get a resurrected body and still have this body. And you want the new body. All right? So it's going to happen in an, real quick. But it's going to happen. All right? Because in order to enjoy and experience the fullness of of heavenly presence, we can't do it in this this mortal body. Mortality must put on immortality. Paul talks about this in in Corinthians. But that doesn't mean we can't live in the heaven reality of kingdom authority and kingdom power. That's what Jesus talks about. And that's what uh, we're called to do. And that's what uh, the parables teach us. Uh, right before Jesus taught the parable we're going to talk about today, he mentions two other short parables or teachings, and they both uh, had to do with having a feast. The first one is, you know, if you're invited to a feast, take the, the back seat. Don't go up in the front. Because if you, if you walk into a feast and you, and you go up to the front seat because you think you're the guest of honor, and then the, the real host comes up and says, I'm sorry, uh, you know, this seat was reserved for the mayor who's coming. Um, you know, do, do you mind if you sit in the back? Uh, I think there's a stool left there. Or actually, we need someone to take out the trash. Could you help? <laughs> you know, you're humiliated. But if you come in and you take a lowly seat, and they go, oh, hey, you're here. Come on up. Come sit here. You know, that's a huge honor. So Jesus made that point. And then he said, if you're hosting a feast, don't just invite people that can host you back, your friends and rich people. Invite poor people. <clears throat> so he's kind of mentioned a few things about hosting a feast and, and kingdom principles. And then this parable more fully goes into depth as to what is meant by the kingdom of heaven is like a feast. And so let's read it. It's in Luke chapter 14, verse 15 through 24. And it's up on the screen if you want to read along or you can use your own Bible or uh, phone app if you have it that way. It says, Now when one of those who sat uh, at the table with him, with Jesus, heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. And then Jesus said to him, 
a certain man gave a great supper and invited many and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, come, for all things are now ready. But they, with one accord, began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I've married a wife, uh, therefore I can't come. So the servant came and reported these things to the master. And then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the cities, and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded. So he went out and brought all those in. And still there is room. And then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste of my supper. All right. So the parables are short, simple stories that teach us basic ideas about God and about his kingdom. They're not real deep theological uh, uh, you know, texts that we have to unpack, but they're, they're stories. And so what we're going to do is just kind of talk through the story and try to learn some lessons from the story so that we can understand the kingdom of God better. And it starts off with this guy responding to what Jesus said. And what he said wasn't bad. He just said, blessed uh, is he who shall eat in the kingdom of God. They were probably sitting around a meal eating. And Jesus had just talked about inviting poor people to, the, to your dinner and taking the lowly seat. So he said that. And some people think that Jesus' re- response is actually a rebuke to that man. I don't really see it that way. It doesn't sound like a rebuke. I think it sounds more like, hey, you need to think a little more deeply about what I'm saying here. And I think that we need to think a little more deeply, not just, oh, it'll be blessed to be there. You know, it'll be blessed to be in heaven. Well, yeah, that's good. But let's think a little more deeply about this because we want to apply this in our lives. And the first thing I think we need to think about is that Jesus uses the image of a feast to describe his kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like a feast. What do you think that means? It's what? It's a party! What else is that? A feast? A lot of food, right? Okay, this is not the party... Like when you're in college, there's parties, and some parties are like your friends, you scrape enough money, you, you, you search the couch and dig out the coins and get a couple of hot and ready pizzas. It's not that party, okay? This is the party of the master, the, one of the, the wealth, probably the wealthiest person in the city or the region. So it's a big party. And Jesus is saying, listen, the kingdom of heaven is a feast. And we see this throughout Scripture. Jesus' first miracle was at a wedding feast. He displays, he chooses to display his ability to do miracles 
at a wedding. And, and, and what did he do at that wedding feast? What's that? Huh? He turned water. And, why did he need to turn the water into the wine? Because they done drank it all. All right? Did Jesus forget that whole moderation thing? When it's a feast, you feast. All right? Normal day to day, you live in moderation. But when, it's like Thanksgiving, you know? And Thanksgiving, you don't just make enough. Right? You make enough to eat it for the next three days. Right? <laughs> then that's enough. All right? And so the kingdom is like a feast. Jesus did his first miracles at a feast. And then in Revelation, when it's talking about the return of Jesus, when we actually enter into that heavenly realm and our resurrected bodies at Christ's return, it's described as the marriage feast of the Lamb. And it actually almost quotes this guy in the, in the gospel where it says, blessed are those who are called to the marriage feast of the Lamb. And so uh, the resurrection is considered is compared to this feast. So why do you think Jesus used a feast to depict his kingdom? Why did he keep bringing that up as the image to the people that he was talking to and in Scripture? So the people he was talking to probably weren't thinking of the kingdom as a feast. All right? And you know what? I rarely meet a Christian that thinks of the kingdom of God in terms of a party. Somewhere fun to go where there's going to be surplus and an abundance and the purpose of it is to have a good time. All right, But you know what the general idea of Christianity is? You're going to feel bad and guilty for all the things you've done wrong and scared of God because you better get right or else you're going to go to hell. Are those things true? Yeah. But the reason we don't want to go to hell is because God's got a party. <laughs> and the real motivation should be, I want to be part of God's party. All right? And so the message applied not only to the people that Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, it applies to you and I. I have to be reminded of this all the time. All right? Because the enemy wants to come in and just say, oh, it's, no, it's the bad, ugly God, mean God's telling you not to have fun. No, God is actually setting it up so you can have more fun than you can possibly imagine for the rest of eternity wow. with no shame or guilt or, con or, or bad consequences. All right, because it's kingdom fun, and it's uh, it's in His presence uh, feasting, and so it sh this should change the way we think about Christianity. It really should. It should rock our boat, and it should change the way we talk to other people about Christianity. You better accept Jesus. Or you're going to go to hell. Yeah. Is that true? Does that need to be said? Absolutely. But we need to tell the part of the, the tell it the way Jesus told it. Do you realize? Living under the reign of God, living in relationship with Jesus. You know the best thing? What's the best party you've ever been to? What's the best wedding reception you've ever been to? Where it was just fun. <laughs> when my girls were little, <clears throat> they're all grown up now. 
uh, but we went to a, 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 uh, my my cousin uh, got married, and we'd had weddings in our church, you know, and they were good. But this wedding, this wedding was a real party, okay, <laughs> and they actually had alcohol. <laughs> so my kids, you know, they were little girls; they didn't realize. But people were dancing, and there was music, and there was lights, and there was lots of food. I remember, I don't know if it was Tori or Emily, it was probably Tori. She was like, Dad, I wish the weddings at our church were like this. <laughs> you know why? Because the, as a kid, they just saw the fun part of it. You know? And uh, we've had some great weddings. I, uh, my kids' weddings were fun. And a lot of the weddings we've done are, are, are fun. But it's just that, that picture of, hey, it needs to be fun. And we need to... Uh, present the kingdom. And if we don't believe that the kingdom is a party and a feast, then when we're talking to other people who aren't in the kingdom, we're not going to communicate it that way. And Jesus is telling this story, simple story, basic story, to convince us of a very powerful truth. Kingdom is a feast. All right, so the feast was uh, prepared, and he sends his servant to go and tell everyone, come, for all things are now ready. So in this story, it says that the host had invited many and then said to his servant to go to those who were invited. And so this was the announcement that come, it's all been ready. Everyone had already been invited. They, had, they In our common um, uh, terminology, they would have RSVP'd. Okay? So they were invited, they sent in their RSVP, and now this is the notice, everything's ready. So the man went and said, it's ready, come to the party you were, we invited you to. And then they started making excuses. And um, so what's important to pull out of this is that Jesus is saying the kingdom is now. Come, it's ready now. All right. In John uh, 4.34, he, he, he was convincing his disciples the same thing. He had just talked to a Samaritan woman. And this, this Gentile Samaritan woman that the Jews thought were just, they were the most ungodly people. They were uh, heathens. They didn't believe the right doctrine. They're, they're dogs. They actually called them dogs. And uh, Jesus talked to this woman, and she instantly accepted Jesus as Savior, and then went and told everyone in her village that who Jesus was. You know, and Jesus had just experienced that as his disciples came, and he said to his disciples, "Man, don't say there's four more months and then the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields; they are ripe for harvest." And many times throughout uh, the New Testament, now is the day of salvation. All right, But the Jewish people and the people Jesus were talking to had for centuries been told, someday a Messiah will come. Someday the Son of David will appear and, and, and redeem Israel. Someday everything will change. And they'd been told that for so long, they just relegated that to the future. And Jesus had to convince them that it was now, right? The first thing he did when he opened up the scriptures, he read a text that was prophesying about the Messiah. And he said, it was from Isaiah, he said, today in your hearing, this scripture is fulfilled. He closed the book, sat down, and everybody was like, what? 
Well, guess what? We're just like those people. Because for centuries, the church has been told, someday Jesus will come back. Someday there will be a resurrection. Someday uh, justice will come. Someday there will be a judgment. And the church and, and most Christians, and in fact, I myself, that's the default setting. If you don't actually choose to say, no, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches the kingdom of heaven is now. And I can step into heavenly authority and resurrection power now. Yes, I'm waiting for the fullness to come. But in fact, my ability to experience the fullness when it comes is dependent on whether or not I have been obedient to stepping into the measure I can step into now. Did you hear that? In other words, if you don't step into the kingdom now, when the kingdom comes in its fullness, you won't have a seat. You won't have the oil. Right? Everybody excited about that? <laughs> it's a feast. You should be excited. I mean, you can step into heaven. How much? Yeah. Well, find out. All right? Some people step into heaven so much that they see dead people raised from the dead. Friends of mine. I haven't seen it. I'm like, that sounds... I'm like, you have a hard time believing it, even though they're my friends. I'm like, yeah. (laughs) But that's why I love going to places like Mexico where they're poor and they're desperate, uh, where there's no... They can't go to the doctor because they don't have any money. Uh, And so if they need healing, they have to pray for and so they see blind eyes healed uh i've seen i saw more healings in that 10-day trip down to uh, uh, was it two years ago than i had in my entire ministry <clears throat> and so um how much can you step into heaven it's really up to how much you're willing to step into heaven right? how much we can accept it and jesus's biggest challenge was to convince them that it was now uh, so how did they respond when the servants had come? What did they do? Back into the story. Don't answer. Do you remember the story I read the parable? They made excuses. All right. What were the excuses? There's actually three in this story. I bought land. Real estate. A real estate investment? That sounds Okay. Some toys, oxen would have been more like tools. <laughs> you know, it's like se- se- several yoke of oxen. That'd be like uh, uh, several what big honking tractors. I don't know what a big honking tractor is called, but you all know what a big honking tractor is, huh? What'd you call? <laughs> And the last one on the list. <laughs> yeah, real estate, livestock, and, well, marriage. I got married. So are these valid excuses? Yes? No? What do you think? Seems valid. That's what I thought when I first read it. I'm like, no, well, you know, it's like he bought a major real estate purchase. He needs to go check it out. He's, he bought some oxen. He's got to go give him a test drive. He got married. I can understand that. 
But what was the response of the host? Anger. So that really tells you, wait a minute. You knew that this party was coming. This is not just like, hey, I got an extra pizza, come over. This is a huge feast that I've prepared for your honor. All right? So, there, so this is not an unplanned thing. This is a very planned thing. And so them not coming is telling them that they are actually more concerned about their real estate purposes than the honor that they would have received by coming to the party. Yeah. Or they're more, they, they, they think that the oxen, or even marriage, it's about priorities. Exactly. All right? So the host in this story is God. It's the kingdom of heaven. And what did the host, what did the host do when, when they made excuses? What was the first thing he did? He got angry. What does that tell us about God? Does it say he was offended? He's angry. He's angry. He's passionate. God has feelings. Do you know that? Do you know why you have feelings? Because you were created in the image of God. Okay? And so you have feelings because God has feelings. And guess what? God's feelings are bigger than your feelings. You know why? Because God's bigger than you. <laughs> All right? So this passage is saying that God got angry at the refusal of people coming to his party. Okay, now let's just stop a minute. What does this tell us about God? It's saying that you have the power to emotionally affect God. <laughs> to me, I, I think about this at least several times a week, if not on a daily basis. Wow. I haven't figured it out yet. I've been thinking about it for about 15 years. All right? Seriously. How is it that you, 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 you can change God's emotions. That doesn't make sense. I'm just a little insignificant. You're not insignificant if you have the power to affect God's emotionally. All right. Now, okay, let's, let's, let's a little comparison here. Some stranger in Ohio does something. You might go, oh, that was stupid. But it's not going to emotionally, you're not going to lose sleep over it, right? But if someone you love, your son or your daughter, does something stupid, you lose sleep over it. You get angry over it. Why? Because that person is important to you. This scripture is saying that people who are invited to come to the kingdom feast, when they refuse that invitation, causes God to feel emotionally upset. And the fact that you have the power to emotionally influence God should rock your boat. And the power is accepting his gift because he wants to give you something. All right? That's what, that's what made him mad is that he prepared all this and, and, and the people that he prepared it for didn't receive it and it upset him. Okay? 
Jesus, the very next passage, two verses down from this story, Jesus sends in the Gospel of Luke, it says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. One of the most avoided scriptures in the New Testament, because preachers hate to preach on it, and so do I. Because it says hate in there. But the context of the whole of Scripture is that we are commanded to love one another, to prefer one another over ourselves. So this is very specific, and it's in the context of, you. in comparison to your love for God and love for Jesus, in comparison, your love for others should look like hate. Right? Because only when you love God and put Him in the place of the highest priority can you actually act, love those other people in a healthy way. That's the big point. When you love God and you honor God and you value God the way that He's supposed to be valued, then you can love and honor and, and bless the other people in your life. It's really, really important. And and uh, so what does this tell us about the kingdom of God? It's a matter of priority. It's a matter of priority. The kingdom of God must be valued, and it must be valued higher than any other thing. But what does this passage, what does this little story tell us about how people actually operate? It's the opposite. It's the opposite. When it comes right down to it, what do we prioritize? It's really easy to accept an invitation. Okay? But when the time comes to fulfill the commitment, it's really easy to make excuses. It's really easy to say, I'm a Christian. It's really easy to sign a card or even to come up to an altar call because it's an emotional, intense time. That's the invitation. The time to fulfill the commitment when Jesus says come, or when he says go, or when he says do, or when he says don't. (laughs) Uh, What's really being shown here is the value system of the people involved. They valued their, their business deals, they valued their livestock, and they even valued their marriage more than they valued God. And God knows that in the long run, that'll end up to be a place of destruction, and they won't be able to honor the value of anyone if they don't value him the most. How we respond to the invitation and how we prioritize the things in our lives uh, uh, actually shows and reveals what we value most. So I just ask you, is there something, uh, is there some ways that you can value the kingdom in your life this week? All right, just take a minute and think. Because, listen, If we just gather together and talk about Bible scriptures and don't actually apply them somehow practically in in your life, then we're no better than the Pharisees and the scribes. We're just religious, okay? We can think we're better because we're talking about Jesus. But Jesus told these stories so that they would live differently. And And this message is so you can live differently. And so is there some way that you can demonstrate that kingdom is more important than business, than property, than marriage, than family. You know? 
or even in your business, this is really the key, in your family, in your relationship, in your responsibilities, can you demonstrate kingdom value in those areas? Because it's not like you have to do something different. You have to do what you are called to do differently. And I, I would just encourage you to prayerfully ask and consider, is there something that God has invited you into that you're just making excuses? Has God said, come, do this, take this, receive this, experience this? But you're saying, no, I'm not ready yet. I'm not good enough yet. I don't know enough yet. Stop making excuses and enter in. Okay, I want to get to the rest of this. I'm running out of time. What did the host, so he, he, was, he was angry, but then what did he do? He yeah, go out quickly, I like the word quickly, and bring in here the poor, the, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. Now, does that sound like an angry response? No. <laughs> Wait a minute. All right. Remember, these stories are, are built to make you go, what? When you get angry... You go, let's have a party for poor people. <laughs> this is what God does uh, when he gets angry. What does that say about God? His anger is different than ours, yeah. He doesn't just throw a fit. He doesn't call down fire from heaven. He does an act of compassion. Shabbat. That's my kind of God. Come on. All right? And I love this. He's like, I'm going to have a feast. And we are going to have a party. And so bring in poor people. <clears throat> Why do you think the poor and the lame and the blind came? <laughs> they had nothing else to do. <laughs> they were hungry. I'm telling you, if you want to find someone that's open to hear the gospel... Find a poor person. Find someone that's really poor. So I love going to Mexico now. I, I didn't realize it until I started going down there. That I mean, these are dirt poor people. Not everyone in Mexico is poor. But the people that Josh Muse and Kaleo ministry ministers to when we go down there, they're the poor. They are dirt poor. I mean, literally dirt poor. They live in dirt. Uh, but they're so hungry and they're so open. So the, uh, the servant did that, and he came back and said, there's still room. And says, uh, the master said, then go out into the highways and the hedges. Earlier it was the streets and, and the lanes. Now the highway and the hedges, and compel them, the people that live out there, to come in that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste of my supper. The this is a quote from a commentary. The highways and hedges were the public roads outside the city of Judaism. So outside of the area where the Jews lived. And so that was a different term for those uh, streets where heathens and uh, non-Jewish people would live. Um, uh, just as the streets and the lanes were inside the city, the heathen, the point is the heathen, uh, were now invited uh, into this party. <clears throat> People that were of a different ethnicity, a different religious system. He's opening up the gates and saying, the party is open for everyone who's willing to come. Yeah. And that's because the primary desire of the king is to fill his house, right? That my house may be full. 
And so, you know, if you invite someone into the relationship with Jesus Christ and they don't respond, you know what you do? Go invite someone else. You know? And then invite someone else. And find someone that's hungry. Find someone that doesn't think they're qualified. And say, you're actually... The king of the universe wants you to spend eternity feasting with him. All right? What does this passage teach us about obedience? If you go to the life group study, these are some of the questions that you're going to be asked. What, What does it say about God? What does it say about people? What does it say about obedience? I think this passage has something really powerful about obedience here. Anybody want to take a stab at it? People sitting in the front row are not allowed to answer, but people sitting in the back row are. (laughs) Okay, think about this. The lame and the poor and the maimed, those were the disadvantaged people. Okay, They didn't have anything. The original people that were invited were probably other landowners, people that, business friends, associates, right? They were buying stuff, they're getting married. But then there's the disadvantaged people. And then there's the outcasts. The people that in the Jewish culture, it was not even uh, allowed to speak to them, let alone invite them into your house. They were forbidden to set foot on the property. And all of a sudden the gates are open and the servants out and saying, no, this king wants you to come to his party and he's hosting it for your honor. What? I'm allowed? So what's this say about obedience? It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. All right? To qualify to respond to this invitation simply means that you have to come when the Lord says come. And regardless of what you've done in the past or where you came from, your genealogy, or even how disqualified or lame you may be in some ways. Jesus is saying, come in. And this is the reason why. Because in the kingdom feast, the poor are no longer poor. And the lame are no longer lame. In fact, the blind begin to see. All right? And the outcasts become family members. All right? Because his kingdom is different than earthly kingdoms. And the feast that he's prepared is different than the feast that they were used to experiencing. All right, so here's a quick summary of what we learned about the kingdom. The kingdom is a feast. It's a party. The kingdom is now. You can step into it now to the degree. And the degree is how much faith you have and how much risk you're willing to take to believe God Uh, word applies today in your life and the kingdom is valuable it's more valuable than anything and everything and everything combined and everything only can find its true value when you value the kingdom first and the invitation of the kingdom is made to all but only those who respond actually get to enter